0: Welcome everybody to the Kane and Rinz podcast, uh, volume eleven, issue five hundred forty-six. Where in this issue we are covering two games. We are covering Ast- Astrobot Rescue Mission and Astro's Playroom. And joining me in issue five forty-six is Carl Moon. Hey, everyone. And Jesse Fuchs. Hey, everybody. So yeah, uh, AstroBot Rescue Mission and Astro's Playroom um, connected definitely um, in lineage and in their kind of effect at being let's say not necessarily system sellers but at least uh, system demonstrators <laughs> um, having having a, a, becoming a very good reason and a very good way to kind of learn what your hardware is capable of. Uh, so we are going to start by talking about AstroBot Rescue Mission. Um so before we get into kind of the who and the what made the game I'm going to kind of switch things around I want to uh ask everybody about their history with Astrobot Rescue Mission which is a title designed for the PlayStation VR so Jesse why don't we start with you how did you become aware and then acquire uh Astrobot Rescue Mission
1: Uh well it comes back to Astrobot Rescue Mission is it basically a level in that original demo, right? The Astro's Playroom VR. I think they always call them Astro's Playroom. There was also an Toy or whatever, uh, you know, PSI camera one that uh, you, I played with for five minutes. But when I got the PSVR, which was a week or two after it came out, it was just, I'd, I'd heard reviews. I'd heard Sean Bell and some other, you know, podcasters talking about it. And it was, it was just sort of that... Uh, a lot of it, I won't go on a tangent about this, but, you know, I was teaching my 80s class for the first time and the way people were talking about it, a big selling point was I would like to experience something as jengy as it might be that is new in this kind, you know, that is sort of in this uh, nascent state. Uh, so I, I took the big splurge and I got the... Um, uh, you know psvr package the smaller one because luckily i had cheap ps moves from being a, a js joust player uh and a sports friends person so well uh, you know i got them when they were ten dollars instead of ninety dollars or whatever but oh, right. um you know I, I i bought it when i didn't have a huge amount of money so i really scoured the demo discs and i played a ton of um the astros playroom anytime i would be showing the system off to anyone and i definitely was you know for for thanksgiving and christmas that year kind of proselytizing a little in the sense of i brought it home and i showed my mom and da, 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 and, and all of those astro uh, astros playroom vr games which are mostly multiplayer all of them are uh required to people at least except for the mm. astrobot level uh are just delightful and and really still hold up of like if you want to demonstrate to someone the the social party game fun that you can have with VR, especially with the kind of second screen that uh, PSVR, you know, can show something different on the TV, et cetera. Those are still delightful. Um, But the hit of the package was definitely uh, that level of just sort of a, a demonstration platformer. And I don't know if even at that point they had a bigger, but I was certainly one of the people uh who at some point you know uh, voted yes on some reddit poll of just like would you play a whole game of this or whatever uh but the the sort of groundswell of like oh this is great why isn't this an entire game uh started so early i don't even remember the causality here but by the time it came out you know it i don't buy a lot of day one full price just i have to get this right now uh but this is definitely one where i you know picked it up and i was even looking at my trophies to kind of see how i played it through and i i took my time with it like i i now recall like i really made a meal of it and i can see that right. i uh you know did world one and did all the found all the things in that before i got to world three you know i, I kind of wouldn't get two right. worlds ahead until i'd really caned and rinsed you know one and um yeah, no, I mean, I it took me about a month to play it all the way through, but uh, it, mm-hmm. it, it was delightful, and we'll, we'll get into it. But yeah, uh, a game I was, I was pre-converted to.
0: Sure, yeah. Uh, Carl, you come to it in a similar way, or...? Uh, sort of yes and no. I,
2: I mean, yeah. overall, yes, it was the uh, Playroom VR. Very confusing terminology of words, given that we're covering Astro's Playroom, but then there was a Playroom VR. <laughs> um, right, <yeah. laughs> but it, there, there was a, a, a hint of what was possible through that. But I never picked up a PSVR at launch. I actually traveled to go and see uh, Tony, who was originally scheduled to be on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to go and stay with him uh, for a while, and I played with his VR. He let me take it all the way back to the north of the country and play it for a while. Showed, uh, showed my parents. My dad bought a PSVR. Oh, um, wow. And then my dad gave me his PSVR when he was done with his PS4, so... Um and as soon as you know Astrobot Rescue Mission released, I did buy it. It wasn't my VR headset. I did buy the game and handed it back with a VR headset to my dad, um, uh, because of the potential that was in the original Playroom VR, and you know, getting my hands on the game, uh, it, it was very clear that this for me did feel something a little bit different. So, right. um, I just had to get this as a, as a game day one. Uh, yeah, nice. Very very happy.
0: Yeah, I um, I, I came to PlayStation VR a little bit later, and uh, uh, part of the, the reason for that was the Kana slack. We were talking about the game Moss. I believe it was Jay Taylor who was editing this episode. I could be wrong with that, who was kind of just, you know, overwhelming yeah. amount of praise for Moss. And uh, I believe it was close to a holiday. It had a bit of a price-cutter of sale. And just enough of talking about it, um, and anybody who knows who, who knows me, um, <laughs> that once they, once they, once the kind of the, the conversation starts uh, for uh, to, to talk to not to talk about myself in the third person, but I can't even remember if I introduced myself for anybody who knows Brian Edwards, I'm probably gonna make a purchase, for whether for good or bad, um, on the thing that everybody's talking about. So I went and got um, uh, PlayStation VR, and it came with uh, Creed, uh, the the boxing game, and and Superhot and i got home bought moss to play that and then after you know a couple days of goofing around and i think i played through most of super hot and so i i just kind of google searched what was the top rated psvr games and i saw like number one with a bullet was astrobot rescue mission I'm like wow i haven't really heard much about this and over the next couple of weeks i heard lots of people it was approaching game of the year time if i remember i think it was about november and lots of uh, you know sites that i follow and 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 uh you know video blog bloggers that I follow were talking about AstroBot, how great it was. And I I picked it up then. And, and boy, once I, once I started playing it, it it did kind of take that spot for me as that game that I was always thinking about when I wasn't playing it. And it just became my focus. And I think I, I think over the course of about two weeks, I, I pretty much went through the entirety of the game and, and did most of what you could do. So let's talk about how it was made. Uh, it was developed by Japan Studio, or now known as Team Asobi, because uh, Japan Studio has since been—would you call it shuttered or, or would it rebranded? How would you say that? Because Japan Studio was technically shut down yeah. by Sony, but Team Asobi still exists separate from that.
2: Redistributed yeah okay. <laughs> yeah redistribute it <laughs> sounds quite yeah. a political yeah. way of putting it yeah
0: exactly we need to redistribute some human resources there so uh so now known as team asobi uh, published by sony uh directed by uh, nicholas doucet or doucet i'm not sure how it's pronounced um who previously directed ipad playroom and playroom vr so it made sense that that he was involved in this process uh designed by gento Morita, programmed by takumi yoshida and yuki miyame um uh Composed by Kenneth C.M. Young, Uh, this was one of the first games, aside from um, Playroom VR, where he was uh, credited as the composer, but he had previously done sound design on the likes of Little Big Planet series and Tearaway and several iToy games. So very familiar with the platform and the hardware, and it was released on October 2nd, 2018, a little over four years ago. Uh, It was created um, due to popular demand and fan feedback of the minigame called Robot Rescue in the Playroom VR. Uh, Japan Studio decided to uh, make a fully fleshed game based on the minigame and Astrobot Rescue Mission was developed in 18 months by a team of 25 people. And that's from Wikipedia. Kind of incredible when you think about that. Uh, Reviews on OpenCritic, very positive with 89% positive. User reviews on IMDb has a 9.1 with 209 votes. And on Metacritic, it sits at a 9.0% with 51 votes. Uh, Won a couple awards, Best VR Game uh, at the Game Awards 2018, and also was the Edge Awards VR Game of the Year. Uh, From our forum, Capone Adam writes, I've been a VR enthusiast ever since owning an Oculus Dev Kit since around 2003. Up until this game, I had played hundreds and hundreds of titles, mostly ranging from experiences to strange experiments to gimmicks to what felt like existing games being forced into VR worlds. I like to think that there have only been two VR games so far. The last one was Half-Life Alex, whilst Astrobot Rescue Mission was the first. Astrobot Rescue Mission managed to bring up similar feelings I had when playing Mario 64 for the first time, where an entire genre of game was evolving before my very eyes. For me, this was being able to learn around lean around the environment, discovering secrets and even hidden storytelling from different angles. There are, of course, the many endless fun VR experiments scattered throughout, but it's that core of heightened connection to the environment and characters coming together in a complete and polished package. That for me made this a standout pivotal moment in VR gaming. So, what is Astrobot Rescue Mission? Well, it's a 3D platform game, in which the player takes control of Astrobot, a small robot, using the DualShock 4 controller. Astro is able to jump, hover, and punch, and charges punch into a spinning attack. In VR, one of the particularities is that the camera is controlled by the player's head movements rather than the right analog stick. The goal of the game is to rescue Astro's crew scattered around each world. Five worlds, twenty levels, with a total of two hundred and thirteen bots to rescue. Again, from Wikipedia. So I think it makes sense, and and Jesse and Carl, you've already talked about this. To to first kind of talk about the controls in VR. We we've discussed a lot of three D p- platformers on the Canarins podcast, and mm-hmm. I've been a part of a few of those episodes but mostly we talk about controls in those games if we're talking about n64 games you have the you know the c buttons kind of operating as the false right analog stick and then move into ps2 and ps3 and xbox and xbox 360 that right analog stick kind of became your camera controls but having the control here being directly represented by your head you know your (laughs) neck your head and where you're looking with the vr headset camera um for me personally this was a very interesting and unique way to play a game. I'll never forget that first moment where you hear an Astrobot calling for you and you're looking around for it and you literally you look up and it's above you. Yeah. And that moment like it being so special and unique and kind of having that break break the walls down moment of whoa, like anything can kind of be anywhere in this game. Did did you guys have similar experiences with that? With Astrobot, I felt I was in the game,
2: and I was controlling yeah. someone in the game world. So I wasn't just the direct connection to being in the game and and, and still moving the camera around with the right stick. Like, suddenly, right. I am, like, the overlord looking after this little, um, little yeah. astrobot in the world. And that was just... Uh, wow, and, and I remember... And then, obviously, this came up on the on the list, and I was like, right, okay. So I set it up about six weeks ago. And I thought, I wonder... If I still feel the same way that I once did, because that is a big ask, right? To, yeah. to have that level of emotion. It's like, oh yeah, go back to experience that great movie that oh, absolutely overwhelmed you for the first time and feel that again. It just, it, it's never, things just aren't the same way. And then I stuck the helmet on and I was like, oh my God, this is it. It's happening again. Yeah. And it became entirely overwhelming after that. You know, I think it was probably about three and a half years after I last played it of just sitting there
0: and laughing. Uh, just how happy and overwhelming and brilliant this world could be i remember that first moment i was sitting in my computer chair playing and you know with the, in front of the tv and and there was a one moment, moment i was leaning kind of leaning trying to look at something and i physically got up out of my chair and like moved forward a little bit and craned my whole body around to see something and i ended up finding either a chameleon or a bot or whatever it was and i just remember la- like yeah. gut like from the bellows of my gut just laughing out loud and my wife is in the room with me and she's watched she's sees the second screen and she was like she's like what what is it? I'm like, You have you have to do this. And so I put the, the we put the hell on her and she played through the rest of the world and she came out and she like like kinda had those tears in her eyes, not like she wasn't I'm not sure it was over, overcome with emotion or just overwhelmed by stimulus, right? She comes yeah. out and she's like that was unbelievable. Uh, Jesse, did, similar yeah. experiences there. I mean you you had already kind of been someone who had been i been th- involved in the VR space, so.
1: I had played so much of the Playroom VR because it was just the thing that I showed off so often. So I had done the two-player uh, version of you, you can be the partner on that level. uh And the, yeah, I mean, even in that, you have that physicality of the camera robot, of you, where you see yourself in the mirror at one point. Uh, There's one moment where you're, like, going through a cave and you part some fronds or whatever and you know that was always a wow moment for everybody. I just replayed that last week and it still it worked perfectly. Uh and so right, maybe by the time I got to actually this full game it it, as I said, I it is a game I took as as like I don't want to eat this all in one gulp because this is too good. Playing this in terms of that maybe I didn't have the same emotional reaction you guys did in that way but it did make me value that level of lush immersion
0: um well carl already mentioned this and i think it's worth pointing out is that uh, a lot of the playstation vr games were controlled with move controllers because it would the the camera mm. would sense the light bulbs on your move controllers but this is a game that um is controlled completely using the dualshock 4 um the light on the back of the dualshock 4 lets the camera know where your controller is at and the thing that I just want to talk about just for a minute is it's a representation through the VR headset. So I remember strapping in, getting involved and get the game on, get the controller up and I I can see the controller, you know, in my VR headset, you're in the game, you see the controller, you can move it and you do the thing that everybody does. Like, I'm going to spin these sticks and see if the sticks spin. And what do you know? The sticks spin. Isn't that cool? And then you get in the the, the levels themselves and the DualShock 4 ends up being kind of a big part of what you're doing, not just through the gadgets, but also like yet every single bot you rescue has this little animation where it jumps up and it stores in the touchpad and they're all waving at you and high-fiving and dancing and yelling at you. And I, that, just having that little bit of like, it reminds you that you're playing a video game. It reminds you that you're there, but yeah. it makes you really feel like you're having an active role inside this digital world. Yeah. Um. I, I, I I couldn't, it's one of those things I can't get over. I'll never forget. i set my mom down and I put the VR headset on her and, and she did that. And she just spent the entire time just kind of like looking at the controller, moving it up and down. She couldn't believe like that. It was visually represented that way. Um, I think that in this particular game, having the DualShock four being your primary means of controlling the character was a overwhelming positive. <laughs> what you mean compared to the move? Yes, compared to the move.
1: Controller. Yeah, no, I the move was a Chad move on their part to Reaper. It is, yeah. it is the only controller, as far as I know, that without adapter is compatible with three consecutive generations of machine. Uh you know, not as beloved huh, as the as the GameCube controller certainly, but that that one does need adapters. And uh, right, yeah, I was I was hoping they would stick with it for the PSVR too, just just as a bit. Just everything else gets incredibly right. high tech and hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just In jack order to up play Horizon bucks, Call of the no mountain. joystick. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, so let's talk about the actual controls of Astro himself or Astrobot. Um it kind of it goes back and forth, doesn't it? Uh whether it's Astrobot or Astro. And uh so you're basically controlling Astrobot if you if you want to do the one to one comparison it would be with a Mario character in a in a 3D platformer. Um you have a Basically, uh, it's not an affi- not an actual double jump. You don't go up again, but you do your second jump. It kind of becomes this hover where your legs kind of become these you know Iron Man esque rocket boots that kind of keep you going in the right direction. Um, and the game has uh, gadgets that you use primarily use through your touchpad on your uh, PS uh, four your DualShock four controller. So as far as the actual moving through the levels, I found. Controlling Astrobot and running around, collecting the coins and doing the things—very fun. I almost found myself losing track of him from time to time, as you either whether you were zoomed out or zoomed in. Some I felt there could be s- some areas there where you might mess the angle of a jump, or you might just time this one thing, or get the depth perception just a little bit wrong. But in general, I thought that Astro perfor- uh controlled really satisfyingly.
1: Oh yeah, I mean the 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 combination of three D VR and the second jump uh you know a game we were talking about earlier we were talking about mario 64 i also this made me think of my first time playing jumping flash which was you know the the launch game i got with my ps1 uh and i was under the influence of mild psychedelics and it was very interesting and i remember walking outside and (laughs) really being impressed by how high res everything was uh and um it's that, but right, you know, the, the solution they find in jumping flash to giving you a sense of control, some, you know, some ability to hover and then there's a shadow or whatever, uh, is already pretty good. But then when you combine it with actually being able to see in 3D, and that is something that uh I've even talked about before, I think on the Quake podcast, I kind of rhapsodized about how much playing Quake in VR uh allowed me to like it kind of understand that game i am i would say i'm not sure i'm below average for a human at being able to kind of take a 2d screen <laughs> and project into the 3d but i definitely below average for a person who plays 3d action games like it is hmm, not yeah. a good skill and i still my favorite monster hunter is still monster hunter 4 on the 3ds because i crank the 3d up all the way and it actually really helps me with spacing and i both enjoy the little okay. kind of like yep you know diorama effect but i definitely literally played that game better uh and one thing that makes this game just to get sort of toyetic and you can yeah you can waste time just finding all the coins and i i've unlocked everything and i was still finding coins now still grabbing coins uh, <laughs> right. not every coin uh like the first time through but you know it's fun and it's fun to do that jump because yeah you can between the hovering and the fact that there's a little shadow spot but also um Yeah, even those of us who are total oafs can can understand actual 3D.
2: (laughs) I think one. So, the game that it most reminds me of uh, wasn't Jump and Flash. It was Crash Bandicoot, right? So, it's like that fixed camera going forwards. You're kind of stuck in that aspect. The one thing it does have over the first three Crash Bandicoot games, and Jesse's already mentioned it, is the shadow spotting for when you're in the air so you can kind of control it. For sure. Also, VR does offer greater depth perception than not vr so actually be it's you know it's the same like in real life in 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 your real life you can judge your depth of perception better than you can on the screen of a video game right being in that vr experience aligns it more to what you experience off screen than sure. on screen in the same way that you know if you're Long-sighted or short-sighted, those are represented still in VR because of the way that it right. represents mm-hmm. the yeah. world around you. So it feels incredibly natural to your normal circumstances. So being able to control a character in VR can be easier if it's done right. Now, what I will say is that I do feel like this is done right because control-wise, it might be the most simplistic set of controls on a 3D platform that I've played sure. in a very long time.
0: Absolutely. You
2: have jump and spin. I mean, mm-hmm. we're talking back to the NES days of two buttons, um, and then you have the the gadgets which add a, a layer of complexity. But the control of the Dual Sense in the hands of the studio in the uh, sorry the Dual uh, DualShock Four, not the Dual Sense, in the hands of that studio are, is as masterful as what you've heard about their control of the Dual Sense in the PS5 iteration. So you know it feels quite natural. You can see that controller in the world, so it feels like it's still a part of it whilst you're in VR. And then control-wise, it's so completely intuitive that you never feel overwhelmed by the sheer number of controls that you could do. Um, And the pacing of it doesn't mean that you feel particularly rushed in the same aspect that you do in something like a Crash Bandicoot, where you can make those, those levels of mistakes. So being able to actually see the character in the world be able to manipulate that from what is, for 95%, a great angle to see the world in. Yeah. Um, and then the other 5% are intentionally obtuse at times, which is where sure. VR comes into you know, a world of its own that you simply can In the literal aspect, you simply cannot do it without VR. So I'm thinking of certain aspects, like um, a bit where you pop through a hole in the wall But you, as the camera, keep moving forwards on the right-hand side of the wall. Your character's on the left-hand side of the wall, and there's vines, and you're looking up and down to see the gaps between the vines. Right, yep. And leaning to get the right angle to be able to control your character on the other side of it. Or the ability to have your character go underwater and through a little hole, and you're literally dipping your face under the surface of the water and leaning round to control your character. So those are like the 5% where you don't... Have a quote unquote great angle of the action. But actually, those are maybe the even better moments of the game because that's utilizing the VR. So, having, you know, controlling a character who is on the left of you, on the right of you, straight in front of you, at times above your head where you're seeing shadows come through things like leaves, or way below you where Mm -hmm. you have a top down view and trying to control. VR does all of that brilliantly. But because you're part of that world and your visual perception is that of you in real life, you it feels like you are more connected in that world to being able to accurately control the character, or at least it did for me. I mean, you still need to have some aspect of control with the analog sticks, right like that's sure. that, yep. that that's part and parcel of the experience um and you know are talking about mastery of a controller. turns out the studio are quite good with analog sticks as well, you know. The yeah. escape. So um, <laughs> yeah. the pretty good uh, uh, understanding and defining the usage from peripherals. Um, so, yes, it feels quite simplistic at a level. The VR adds a layer of complexity, but actually it's utilized in such a way that it never, at least for me, ever seemed to take me out of my comfort zone. And then it does a great thing where it sort of stops you falling off ledges in and around by having um, Astro uh, lean kind of heavily on balance so you can kind of correct it, So you're not going to just accidentally yeah. fall off ledges left, right, and center, right, which exactly. you know, yep. without yep. that, that would have been obviously if, a lot more difficult. So if you miss a, a
1: jump onto like a balance rope, he'll extend a rope, yeah, and then yeah. you hit the button, he jumps back up. It's it's very forgiving about right. uh, certain aspects, yes. although it, I guess, we can get to difficulty, uh, later, but it's interesting to think about, it, right? You know, the, as, as, uh, something related to demo games that kind of everybody need to be able to beat. I was impressed at how this balanced difficulty level without having explicit difficulty levels uh, in terms of right. you know, On limited lives yeah. as
2: well. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And a lot of that does and come that, down to the fact that the controls are there's no triggers, there's no you know it's the touchpad, the joystick, and the two buttons, um, and yeah. it manages to get enough variety out of that through other things that uh, they don't yeah. need. Like Mario, yeah. again, like again, Mario sixty four, the game I also for whatever reason think of maybe just emotionally, but a very different game. in that right, you know, that's a game that's like Dark Souls, like like you get all your moves at the beginning and like you can do whatever you want with them and figure this out, uh, right. And yeah, yeah. whereas this is right, this is Crash Bandicoot, or if it's like a Mario in structure, it's more what was the Wii U one? I always get the name wrong 3D Mario Super World, you know, with the cat suit.
2: Well, Super Mario 3D Worlds, there we go. No, Super Mario 3D World, not World. I always called it Worlds because it looked like the tail was an S on the box. It's Super Mario 3D World. It's uh, I mean, that's a, a linear game
1: that is that is a cavalcade of wonderful ideas, uh. That you know does some things with the Wii U pad, which is less uh, revolutionary than VR, <laughs> but but in a weird way, maybe that's the game that this feels most like in terms of the audience yeah. it's aimed at.
0: Sure, yeah, yeah, I think that's that's a fair comparison. Absolutely. So we we mentioned the gadgets before that are used. There's a hookshot, water gun, shirkin, um, tightrope, a magic light for the dark sections, a machine gun. um and a slingshot. They're kind of used, um, basically, some of them are used as traversal mechanics, others are used to take care of uh, particular obstacles in the world. Um, and speaking of the worlds, we had five worlds with four levels each for a total of 20 levels. Uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you guys, because I kind of felt this way when I played it, um, I love this game, obviously, and and play in VR, but my length of time playing in VR does have a shelf life, even if I'm fully engaged, fully enjoying it. I found that having the five worlds with four levels each playing four levels in a succession felt to me like kind of the perfect session. Yeah, You play through four levels and then you dip out and give yourself a break and then come back the next day or a few hours later, or whatever. Did you guys feel the same way? A
2: hundred percent agree with you. It's yeah. uh, the, the, the other thing about the worlds is it's quite notable that as you expand, the levels are longer per world. So the the levels in World 1 are very, very short. Yes. Uh, and it feels like that builds your tolerance to VR to be able to oh, experience yeah. and enjoy that. In 2, it's a bit longer. It pushes your boundaries of if you can handle it. And by the time you get to World 5, some of those levels are quite long in World 5. But I, And then when you go back from World 5 and maybe go and polish up some of the collectibles in World 1, that's at the point you realize how short some of those levels are to begin with. Mm. And I thought that that, as a point of design was genius as a way mm-hmm. to get people comfortable in a and gaming environment that is not entirely natural and is actually quite alien to a lot of people, particularly those that experience sure. motion sickness, that you can start to build up a level of tolerance um to be able to do that. And I thought that that was that was absolutely fantastic. And of course, each each of those worlds also features a boss fight. So there mm-hmm. is kind of the, the the four levels in a boss fight, four levels in a boss fight, and then the range of challenge levels on top if for you unlock a challenge level every time you find a chameleon, yeah, which takes you to do a challenge which could be uh killing x amount of enemies or right. uh completing a level in an under 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 a certain period of time, and I think and that, that's fantastic
0: that doesn't it doesn't quite double the length of the game, but essentially you can unlock forty levels in in big air quotes with your um with your chameleon those
1: bonus levels have a lot of replay value yeah they got a yes, lot of challenge. absolutely. I,
0: which I, I think they learned about and they thought about when they came to to talking about astro's playroom because astro's playroom has some speed running stuff that end up being quite the scene that we'll talk about here in a little bit but yeah absolutely there's a lot of replay value in those
1: i i definitely recall when i was finishing that game and in the first time through i erased my save because i didn't want to so I, yeah I, and i haven't you know finish it all the way through Mm -hmm. but looking at my trophies i i finished most of the challenges and got both Mm -hmm. on most and uh i just remember my nephew playing grand theft auto and me just playing that and just chatting because it was just becoming this kind of i would just do the same level 50 times and it was you know, sure. there was an, yeah. it was being run by an entirely separate part of my brain than the part that was chatting. Um, <laughs> right. And yeah, yeah, no, it was great. You know, it really worked well as that kind of uh, part, you know, a totally different sort of game, whereas I would not play the regular levels uh, when we were chatting, because if I was playing them, it was because I was trying to find that last chameleon or, or, you know, the robot I didn't rescue. And that is a very, you know, I am paying attention to the world I'm in and. Uh, yeah. so they're just yeah it's it it it's a pretty deluxe package uh i mean it was a 40 dollar game when it came out uh because no vr games are 60 or at least anymore it seems uh and i yeah. definitely felt like it was a you know a premium a game that that had plenty of uh replayability and content and all that good stuff i got mm-hmm. you know more than my money's worth and then of course it went on sale really cheap a bunch of times so uh um, sure and the levels they're not i mean there's they're repetitive uh, not repetitive they you know there are themes in common and we'll talk about i guess a little bit the little coin unlock room uh where you know all the coins you yeah, collect yeah. get put to use by playing a uh claw machine game uh just like in the um right. astro's playroom vr uh but or the playroom vr uh but it um <laughs> you know there's just a wild variety of, like the uh the neon um amusement park one i think is probably just my neon favorite. night ride yeah, yeah that was the one i was gonna into. pick out
0: as kind of a standout yeah uh, the, the sonic-esque level yeah yeah
1: it's just, i'm a simple man i like colors and shapes and you know it's it's just a delightful couple <laughs> of minutes to run through and i would sometimes you know leave this on And just uh, leave it on all day and do some work. And then, you know, it's a great game to take a little 10-minute break. Uh, And just one thing I like about VR, it's always funny hearing people who don't use VR be worried about, oh, no, people are going to, you know, disappear into the Matrix forever. It's like, you haven't used, like, no, it's great for, like, you do 10 minutes, it kind of, like, shakes the Etch-A-Sketch in your head, and then you go back to the real world, and it's nice. Right. Uh, It's like a little shower for your brain. Uh, and uh, Astro's <laughs> Playroom or uh, Astrobot really really works well in that way on a couple of, in a strange way the game to the top uh, which mm-hmm. is a very different game but had that same relationship for me where I would just leave it on because there's a speed aspect there's a like find the things you haven't found and really kind of slow down and explore your environment aspect and right. you know just that kind of um, a, a great thing to keep picking at and a good soundtrack as well. So, if they yeah. have that in
0: common. Yeah, so you, you already mentioned uh, Neon Night Ride, and we've already we've previously mentioned the water levels. Uh Carl, is there any particular standout stage or set of stages that you that 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 you remember that just kind of stick out to you? Moby Deep. Okay. Hands down is
2: maybe my favorite 3D platforming level that I've ever played. Oh, wow, yeah. Um it's I mean, you might be able to guess what it is. Uh, you start underwater. And mm-hmm. just just by the way, to, to point this out, water levels in video games suck, <laughs> right? Yeah, and in, uh, yeah, in as this a, game, as a rule. they do not <laughs> at all suck. They are brilliant in this game. Um, wild, I don't know why they feel so good in this game, but Moby Deep is a level that you start underwater, you get swallowed by a whale, and you progress through the whale um, with all the things that are in its stomach before essentially getting spat back up through the blowhole um, and into the essentially the finish. And as part of being in that, you get the waves or the undulations of water constantly coming towards the camera. Some of those actually go over you. So mm. you get that sensation of water coming towards you and actually hitting you in the face. You do bits where you're underwater, bits where your head... where. Uh, Astro is underwater and you're above and you can lean your head into the water to get that. Um, It's just... Not to overextend or overuse the word, but there are moments of true genius of level design in that level that completely just blew me away at the time and blows me away every time I go back to it. Right, Um, That level, for me, stands out. Also, the level... In the graveyard, where you get the uh, magic light for your torch. Yeah, yeah, that's that, such a
0: great level. I was <laughs> going to be the one I brought up for oh, sure. Yep.
2: Give give me VR on a Nintendo platform and make that Luigi's Mansion four, 100%. and I will be the yeah. happiest person. Yeah, <laughs> because that that was that to all intents and purposes, right? That was a Luigi's Mansion level. That's what it felt like. You have the ghosts. You you use a light instead of your vacuum to go and, and suck them up, but you're. Leaning in and out of branches, you're using your torch to highlight blocks that are invisible otherwise, and you can stick a like a, a glow through them so that you can actually see them. So you're yeah. tracking the level with your VR, uh, with your um your your Dual Shock Four, and you're moving it around probably more in that level than you normally would in any of the other levels, and using this element of having the the the, the this torch essentially that you you flick on for like a, a pulse of light um and it was just so brilliantly done um and there's only one level that yeah. uses it <laughs> yeah. as well so it never feels like it overplays its hand in terms of its uh that any i mean gimmicks maybe makes it, gimmicks always has has like a negative connotation and sure. i don't want yeah. it to mean that way but it never overplays any of its hands right. to the point where it becomes normalized so every time you do something it still feels special and to a degree i would say all the gadgets do um mm-hmm the only one I ever had problems with was the one where uh, the hook shot for pulling stuff like you you hook into a wall by flicking out of the like flicking up from the touchpad it fires like a grapple hook out and then you pull the whole jewel shock edge uh, jewel sense back and it pulls the wall out um, and sometimes that doesn't quite seem to trigger the pull in the way that I would have liked. Sure. Uh, but there is one thing we didn't mention, which kind of it isn't a gadget, but it's that you as the floating robot camera are sometimes targeted by enemies mm. as well. Not, oh. Not yeah, just Astro.
0: Yep. Yep. Um, and also I, I, you, you can you can use your your head as the robot. You have uh, to use your head to yeah. break through walls at times too, yeah. And and,
2: and there are enemies that'll Yeah, you can headbutt those enemies with it or headbutt walls. So your head becomes a gadget in some ways. Yeah, that's but right. But then you'll yeah. get like things like um wasps, which I mean mm-hmm. th- to be fair, they look like they're straight out of Sonic, right? And they come at you with the stingers and you are you can take it to the face, right, and it looks like your screen's cracked. It gives you, like, that visualization that your, your lens is cracked. Mm-hmm. But you can actually, like, move your head quickly out of the way to avoid it, and then they, like, miss and they're dizzy, and then you headbutt them back to destroy them. Completely, you know, away from the action of you controlling Astro, or you get, like, the goopy enemies that spit goo onto your screen. Right. Um, and you've got to shake your headset to shake it off your screen. Uh, stuff like that is 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 brilliant, where you feel, like, the VR is present in the world as well, which is, like, that is very, very clever. And I think the reason I love the water levels, and I know Jesse's already alluded to this, there's one level where you come back out from under the water and you've got all, like, the seaweed over your face and you can kind Mm -hmm. of shake the seaweed uh, as it's over your eyes and it it happens so smooth that it actually feels like you've lifted your own head out of the water to have that seaweed over you. So there's seven
0: gadgets, but your VR headset is kind of another gadget in that world as well. So not not to be that guy who just, you know, is just keeping praise on this game. And there, there's a couple things that I think we'll get to in a minute that that I think maybe could have been better, or at least, you know, thought about it in a different way. But w- when that happened, my second time playing through the game for this show, I I tried to wipe off my headset. Mm-hmm. Like I took my yeah. physical hand up and I brushed it against my headset I'm like, <laughs> oh, well, that's not going to work. You know, it, it does it so naturally, as you said. Yeah, Kendall. it just it makes it feel as real as it can. And, um, which is quite something considering the kind of the style of this game, but
1: the animation is incredibly good. And yeah, is yeah. This, let's get into
0: it. Yep. I mean, just with the gadgets,
1: I was really impressed going back to it. Cause now that, uh, as we'll talk about, I've felt the rain, you know, I've, I've played with the PS five, you know, the, the, the vibration on the PS four is nothing too special. It's, you know, it vibrates, but they, stunted you. Just nail it so perfectly. Like with the mm-hmm. shuriken, I, I guess if I was going to mention a, oh. a, a level, yep. Yep. it would be the crystal cave one where you're uh, using that shuriken to kind of chunk it into the wood and you have to jump on these shurikens and there's various Brilliant. other kind yeah. of cute uses of it besides just defeating enemies, which you also do. But, like, every time that shuriken chunks into the wood like it feels way more right than the technology should allow um and yes. i think they just uh again they kind of like you you can feel the money being spent and i do think it is like if you get a lot of incredibly talented people and let them work for a long time and you know have the resources like there's just this level of tuning this game does that it's that nintendo thing like it's just that cut above where nintendo games feel different than you know a very good yeah. third sure. party yeah. similar game or whatever um, yeah, no, there it's 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 remarkable and doesn't really compare to what Sony is generally their strengths are, which tend to be more in you know representational, realistic, you know,
2: types yeah, type stuff yep, for sure. It's that level of polish in a completely different style from a much smaller studio on a niche peripheral that you just as as you filter further down that hierarchical tree to get to that point where you are now on a niche first party uh, peripheral that's non-essential to play on on a popular console you've got like a really s- much smaller audience than you do for like a-, a title like god of war and yet that level of polish in this does feel like it's at that standard that sure. any of those other yeah. games mentioned yeah and- you know, there's the things about the gadgets. You when you when you pick them up, even the way that you access the gadget. So you yeah. you punch like a chest, and the chest floats up in front of you, and it has like a notch in it, the shape of your Dual Sense uh, DualShock Four. I will get those right, I swear. I, <laughs> I, I mess it up eventually. in the notes multiple times. <laughs> um, and and you literally have your controller in front of you, and you pick it up and you push it into this notch, and it but it puts a latch over it, and it installs the gadget into the top of your Shock 4 nailed it um, and then you pull that <laughs> off and you have it and I remember looking at it and I was like curious and I, I t- you know I tilted the controller forward and I was looking into the top of it where I, I could see the shuriken loaded in and stuff and I accidentally caught the um touchpad and I fired the shuriken straight into my own face <laughs> and it generates like the cracked <laughs> camera and I was like, and it actually made like it really made me jump because it was completely unexpected. Yeah. And it cracked my screen <laughs> at the yeah. same time. I was like, whoa, like that was amazing. <laughs> um and then obviously I was like, I need to try this with all the gadgets, and you know, you can splash your own face and you know, you, you can splash Astro with a with a water yep. thing and yep. all these kinds of things. Like the level of interactivity with Astro, the world itself, leaning through gaps, and then things coming back at your headset. It's like that, it's like that beautiful circle of change between every level. Sure. where things can interact in so many different ways, um, and, and all of them feel just
0: of, of a supreme standard. Yeah, we when talking about, uh, like, I was thinking about how to, how to break this up, right? Talk about it, graphics, art design, animations. And the game looks as good as it looks. It's very cute, as Jesse said before. It's mm-hmm. very colorful and vibrant. And the art design is kind of, it's interesting, right? Because it's almost designed in a tunnel, in the sense that every level is moving straight forward or straight up or in in a direction right so it's all yeah, kind of yeah, yeah. has to be forward focused linear progression yeah but where this game really does shine and you've both mentioned I was in the animations how everything reacts oh. to everything the, just from the, the the way the enemies react to your spins to the way the astro will glide along a rail or down a slide and and kind of just that natural movement of the body of, of Astro's body is like, he's swinging back and forth. And then he'll (laughs) look back at the screen and have that little smile on his face. And it's just kind of like, or at the screen, should I say at you at the giant robot, your camera, it just, all of those animations go to make all of these characters and all these things that you interact with feel that more real as you're interacting with them. It's
2: just sensational. I mean, Astro might be the cutest protagonist in a game in a long, long time. Like he is adorable. But the whole world around it, the villains are like just brilliantly beautifully designed. Yeah. Um Yeah, all the boss battles are uh, really fun yeah. and
1: good, and the spiders hilarious, and they're they, they great. Do scale yeah. extremely well. I mean, that's the thing is boss battles are often kind of anticlimactic, but these have both good puzzle structure and you know that they, they're very large. And you get Yeah, that
2: yeah, they the, yeah, the, the do the they do the thing that you need them to do in VR as well, so it accentuates the VR. But there's there's little things in the world. So one of the things that I absolutely there's there's two probably little touches that I absolutely love. The first one is you see the like these kind of colorful metal sunflowers a part of the world, mm-hmm. yep. and you look at them <laughs> and they, they've got like these little blinking eyes that look at you. And it took me a while to realize that if I lean my head to the left, they lean their head to the right. So they completely mirror how I'm leaning and looking at them. <laughs> so if I, so they're constantly looking at me and they follow my, my my headset essentially, and it's just beautifully done because it's so subtle that it's possible you would never notice it. And the other is that when you look down, you can kind of see your floating robot body. There are times where you float past like TV screens and you see your controller moving yeah. around on it, yeah. and you see your robot body moving around on it, kind of looking at it, and you go, oh, that's what I look like. That that That's that's the character that I am in that world. But then what I didn't realize is that my character always self-shadows in the world. So you see, like, his round head and his aerial that he has mm-hmm. on his head. Yep. And it's, so if you stop or you move your head, it tracks that, and it has the movement on the aerial. So you can actually like if you move your head left and right you'll see your aerial wobbles with that left or right and before going back to kind of a neutral center and it was just like seeing that shadow moving around in the world i was like i am actually present here
0: right and yeah.
2: the brain is a a wonderful thing it's also a wonderfully stupid thing in that we <laughs> can we can very quickly believe what we see and we naturally believe what we see over anything else right and vr gives that illusion and this game absolutely sells that to the nth degree with things like that, self-shadowing, the, the sure. fact that you see the animations around in the world, the, the the fact that you see Astro in the world and you can actually hit him with the controller. I mean, I did it accidentally. I'm not cruel. Um, I still feel bad about it.
0: Oh, I, uh, I super did it on purpose. That's OK. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to see if I could.
1: It was because yeah, I wanted to see if can. I could. You get a like, trophy, that's the crazy part I think.
2: Yeah,
0: you yeah
1: do. I you think, do think you get the do get, trophy, get yeah.
2: a trophy. And I didn't know because I didn't look at the trophy list, which, you know, that that, that was kind of the wonder. And obviously in, in VR, for anyone who doesn't have it, you, all you get is like a pop-up of a trophy. You don't know necessarily what you've done to to qualify for it. But it's just like those little touches, like the things like the uh, sunflowers constantly yeah. mirroring you and uh, 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 and the way that you have the enemies. Like the you get like the bullet bills, for example, yep. that are an obstacle for Astro in the world to avoid, but they're an obstacle for you to avoid.
1: <laughs> it's not the most immersive... Uh, you know, 3D game ever, and but the the Mario 64, like it might be the most immersive linear one, like just in a literal, and I, I mean immersive, just in the sense of like immersive sim, like that level of little interactions and like that, uh, lots of, uh I mean, there's the robots are all hidden. We haven't really talked about like how well they're hidden, yeah, and, and that kind of whole yeah. like the 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 puzzle conversation you're constantly having with the designers. Um, about, you know, we've, you know, we've talked about how you kind of have to look around and look up and look in ways you don't expect, but the way the game uses just kind of your expectations and, and the fact that the PSVR isn't necessarily great at 360 in the sense of like, you can't see the controller if you're turning around, it does, you never notice that they do an extremely good job of making you feel like you can look around a 360 world while you're seated probably in like your swivel chair. Uh, and not ever pushing on the things where the seams might show, um, but yeah, it's it's. I, know, I mean, do we have? I mean, I have one bad thing to say about the game, but I'll save that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was there.
0: gonna. I was. Say, mine. Mine actually comes with kind of the next thing we're gonna talk about was is the sound and the music. I. I. I think the sound design for this game is wonderful, and I, one one thing I really yes. want to talk about, I want to ask Carl specifically in a minute about the chameleons and how you use sound to find the chameleons. But um, the the one thing I do say is that the for this this game, the I find the the soundtrack itself to be pretty repetitive, and um, I I didn't. So that's one of those things is that you come to expect from a 3D platformer, right? It's like, like stage music and everything. And there's a lot of musical tracks here that are recycled. And what I would find is that I would spend a lot of time either in, in a level or replaying the level to find the one or two bots or the chameleon I missed and then the the music would just keep repeating these one minute tracks these two minute tracks and all of a sudden i'm spending 20 minutes at a level and i'm hearing the yeah. wah, wah, wah <laughs> for like the 30th yeah. time and i'm just like oh my god like i'm ready to lose it you know so um so yeah, uh, yeah. that that's kind of one of my negatives about the game um uh carl you you'd you mentioned the chameleons in the past and how that they're your, one of your favorite collectibles if not one of your favorites that uh, you've seen um yeah. what what about that like just explain the experience of getting one and then what you love about it it's it's so it's the fact that
2: we are when you look for collectibles in games you 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 actively look for them in any number of ways that in any game um in this one you are in the very literal sense looking behind you looking up looking through gaps and everything to try and find these enemies that are very subtle that they are kind of uh, probably about 90% transparent. You can kind of see around their eyes. And if you look at them, they kind of react at you and look at you and then make a pop noise, go into colour and disappear, and then yeah. you've collected them. Um, but it's the fact that in these worlds, so there's one in every level, so you have to find them. Um, some can be hidden behind things. Some you might have to trigger something to to unlock something else in the level. Um, so there's the one where you're going across like the uh, the uh, rooftops in in kind of... Uh, ancient japan and you've got to trigger something something to pop up for it for you to be able to find it behind something else uh i remember there's one there's one in the rock the one that i absolutely loved um there's like a little gap and it's a well that goes all the way up to the sky and it goes up so far and it's so you you've got no reason necessary to look up but it's there and you can look up and there's a couple of rocks sticking out and then all of a sudden you just see its little eye and it takes a while to look at you and then all of a sudden it comes into focus and you collect it and it's just the aspect that I'm not looking for an item with my character I am looking for this collectible with my own head in this world that has an incredible level of um depth not in terms of its design but in, in like the literal sense of the the depth perception that VR gives you and just being able to look for them um was was just for me I found that so much fun
0: yeah yeah um so in the, in, in the spirit of being, um, let's say, uh, subjective and, and objective, subjective and objective. I'm gonna misuse those all the time because I do in real life. Uh, Jesse, you were uh, saying before that you know, that by no means, it, and we're all talking about this game in, in the most possibly possible. By no means is is this game um, perfect in 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 every way. Uh, what what were your kind of concerns? The, I guess these
1: there? are. Uh... I'll just get all my critiques out of the way at once because they're all f- fairly small, <laughs> right? Uh, I would say, I mean, one, just talking about the levels, it's not even a critique, but I would say it's more that it's consistent. Like, now the levels are below an eight, but there's not that many tens. They're all just like eights or nines and a couple like the, okay. the whale one are. But, you know, like even the the Neon Park one isn't it's just there's no bad levels in this game essentially and, and, right. and yeah, you 100%. don't get tired of anything except for the, the the repetitive soundtrack which i do agree with that i i actually you know i enjoyed i'm not a big video game music person i don't tend to listen to it on its own but uh i like the soundtrack to this but sure it could definitely use more variety which is not really something you'd say about any there's nothing else in this game where you you know it outwears its welcome um mm-hmm. the yeah. the only real two kind of Issues which are about, you know, sort of the cosmetic stuff are, one, the little robots you have to find. I can understand why they sound like babies in danger, because the more shrill a sound, the easier (laughs) it is to pinpoint in stereo, right? If they all had bass voices, you wouldn't be able to find them. But uh, I just, it's not terrible, but it is like. And it does tie into this broader, like, as much as I can favorably compare this game to Nintendo in a lot of ways, I think if you put the noise that the Astrobots make up against the noise that Toad makes, you do get a sense of where Nintendo is just always going to be king. Like, somehow, the Toad noise, you'd also be able to find it, but it's cute. Whereas I just kind of, you know, I hear one of those. This is more like the Mario falling... It's not as bad as Mario... Uh, getting hit in Yoshi's Island, but still don't <laughs> like it. Yeah.
0: Uh,
1: and, and I do- Are you
0: upsetting your BB by sliding down a hill and dust stranding? Exactly. <laughs> like it's, it's,
1: it's an alarm. And I guess it makes sense. Right, it's, it's, it's not a imminent alarm. It's you are trying to find this thing and it's mechanically very helpful. And I really like the level sure, of information yeah. you get in terms of solving the where the hell did you put this puzzle and the fact that because it is linear, that search is not overwhelming, right? That, that, right, and it's less right. li- when we say linear, you do send astrobot off kind of on little side, you know, tangents yeah. off, like there's, you know, a, a bridge and a little island, you look over there for something, and maybe there's a little guy. But essentially, you, you never get, even if you, you have one robot you haven't found yet, it can get a little frustrating. But because it's linear, you don't get the, the classic, the, 20th of the 20 hidden things is by definition the one you will never find because it's in the place you will never get sure. to look and that is different for everyone but <laughs> you know uh, right. in any kind of like game like that you have that problem I was able to find all of these eventually Um, I the the only other thing is have any of you and this kind of goes back to the animations and it's really about how great the animations are on this stuff and how cute the astrobots are but in the VR playroom, did any of you kind of, you know, do the coins and do the the, the the little claw game in there to fill out the egg?
2: I have not. Yes. Nope, okay. I did not. Yes, I did.
1: That is my favorite thing in any of these games, maybe. Like that egg, uh, you you know, you unlock the coins by playing all those playroom games. And, yeah. and then you get these little animation loop vignettes of all of the characters from all of the games and et cetera. And it's just this, like, delightful – it is – Stephen Milhauser once wrote an essay called The Fascination of the Miniature, and it's, like, my example of the thing he is imagining, in a sense, of just, like, you are this kind of – you know, you're you're looking at this little world, and each of these loops is, like, you know, maybe 20 or 30 seconds, and they each tell kind of a little story – you know a little cute whatever and there's robots you know they're playing air hockey there's you know diving into a pool and then the shark comes up then they run away etc the Uh, equivalent to that in in Astro Bot is you unlock a bunch of the environments uh, from the game as kind of these sort of, I don't know, like jungle gyms. And, you know, you put in the coins and it's basically the same claw game, which is a a very fun claw game that actually involves some skill because there's bombs in there. And, uh, you know, you use the touchpad to determine how far it goes to the right and then back. And so you're, you know, actually... Making choices or whatever, but it's it, it, like the pachinko game in the Nintendo Land that was talked about last week. You know, it's, it's pretty addictive and enjoyable on its own, but it also unlocks these these doodads. Uh, and like in, you know, in, as, as in we'll be talking about, you know, Astros Playroom. Uh, but yeah, yeah, the doodads in um this one, they're fine and but there's nothing to really you, you can wander around and you can kinda and there's little kind of animation loops of the monsters walking back or forth or whatever. But it's remarkably less magical considering how much sure. every yeah, other is, yeah. part of this game kind of takes that experience from the demo and makes it better. So
0: there's okay. my yeah, one. I see that for sure. Yeah. 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 Um I think one of the things that this game I uh I don't want to say suffers from because i in, in in reality I think it's just a, a shines a light on the focus that they had on on the worlds themselves is that the the 20 levels you play through those main levels seems so tightly crafted and constructed and so well designed and so, and it feels like everything was thought about in the designing those levels and then when you look at the the stat we read before about how this game was developed in 18 months by 25 people, <laughs> it's it does seem like those extra aspects, even including some of the chameleon like side activities, I don't wanna I never wanna say tacked on, because I think that's like a negative has a negative connotation, but at least wasn't as well considered as that main playthrough of those main levels. And I I think that, you know, maybe with some extra times, extra some extra money and also you know, maybe not knowing how this would be received. I mean, it is a VR 3D platformer, and and the PlayStation VR, while ended up selling quite well for for Sony, this was fairly early on, and 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 I just think that that there wasn't as much care. This is just me, absolutely hypothesizing. Obviously, I wasn't there, but it does that does feel like those things were extras, but only in the sense that they were extra things, not that they really had a lot of engagement when you did them. But
1: uh, do you mean that the bonus levels felt? Tacked on or just the finding I, the way you unlock them through the,
0: community. the no like the the collectibles the the I claw see. game the like those yeah and then and didn't they give you like you could go in and kind of like there were like jungle gym areas you could kind of go in and explore right yeah Isn't, that's am what i'm missing you, that you, yeah they're big yeah. and
1: empty and then you unlock the stuff yes. in yes. the claw yeah. game but they're still kind of empty feeling even though you yes, can run exactly. around in yep. them because there's no goal right. and astrobot and, right yeah there's just nothing to really do whereas in not that there's anything to do in the egg, uh, but the egg is amazing and everyone should experience the and egg.
0: I, I, and I think we'll probably talk about that a little bit in Astro's Playroom with the Labo section yeah. there, um, which, which is essentially the same idea but offers a little bit more interaction and, and significance for reasons yeah. we'll get to. Um, I, I, we're going to end our conversation about Astrobot Rescue Mission with a post from our forum from Radical Dog who says, Rescue Mission is fantastic. It acknowledges that you want to play it, sat down with a controller in hand, and leads you through some bright and joyful worlds. I will say, it bums me out that there's no PC and PlayStation cross-compatible VR, as it's a big investment where you either miss out on the Sony games stable, Astro Ghost Giant, or many PC VR exclusives. So this is something I was going to ask both of you as we kind of finish up this conversation. Recently, Sony's been very forward about putting things on PC, and, and they have done several ports now and that have been very successful. Most recently, I believe Spider-Man was the most recent one, or was it, uh, it might have been Sackboy's Big Adventure. I don't know. They came out, both of those games came out fairly recently on the PC. Do you see any of these PSVR titles ending up on Steam at some point in the future?
2: hmm It'd be I've never really thought. I'd, yeah, I'd, I, I wouldn't see why not.
1: I could see this I, because it's been long enough, and it's so. The thing with this game is, it's going to hold up in fifteen years, like after sure. the WoW wears off. And again, teaching that '80s class is something I think about a lot. Where uh, you know, you go back and play King's Quest IV, and you install it off the twelve discs, and you got the sound card going, and you know, and it's very impressive for 1988. Uh, but it's not. Uh, it's not a game I've got a lot of patience for. Right. Like the the essential actual game design. And and you do see the history of AAA is often, you know, this wows you then. But then if you go back to it, it's not actually that fun or whatever. just wowed you. This game has just got boats like even when we're no longer, even when I've seen water effects a hundred times better. And I felt the water through uh, electron uh, haptics in the helmet uh, that go directly to my brain or whatever. Like this is still going to be a banger platformer. Sure, yeah. And it'll be fun to find the little guys. You'll be like, ha-ha, it fooled me. Yeah, like that. (laughs) That's not going to get old. So sure, why not bring it to PC?
0: And I I think uh, if you could lend this game and just give it that little extra resolution boost and visual fidelity that just comes with some of the PC headsets, there won't be a reason that I will say no to playing this game again in the future, and it would be interesting to see if they could uh, port it over to PC. Uh, But... Who knows what Sony's doing at any given time? Because it's at one time it seems like games are going to come out on PC all the time, and then other times it seems like they're they're reluctant. So, only time will tell. Um, so now, moving past the PlayStation VR, moving past the PlayStation Four, we're going to move into the PlayStation Five with Astro's Playroom. Um, the development team on Astro's Playroom is almost identical uh, to the development team for Astrobot Rescue Mission. Um, It was uh, released on November 12th, 2020 in North America, Australia, New Zealand and Japan um, with the release of the PlayStation 5 and then worldwide on November 19th, 2020. Uh, again, a platformer, single-player, just like uh, Astro Bot Rescue Mission, but this one not in VR, just displayed on your regular old TV. You don't need to strap anything to your face to play it. Um, but you do have to get a PlayStation 5, which is some to somehow harder still than strapping something to your face, but we will come across that as we get to it. Um, reviewed uh, fairly well um, on OpenCritic with an 84%. Uh, IMDB uh, can 8.5 out of 10 from 1,109 votes. And on Metacritic in 9.2 with 1,309 votes, which I thought was interesting because if you look at the user views before on Metacritic for route Rescue Mission only received 51 votes. And then on <laughs> Astro Astro's Playroom had 1,309 ratings, which may lend to just how many people uh, are kind of excluded from uh, experience just because of the headset and visual reality. So uh, we'll start out with a couple posts from our uh, first from our Patreon from James McCall who says... Astro's Playroom was such a magical way to start my PS5 journey. Playing it now takes me right back to that day, waiting eagerly for my console, which came a day late. The game looked so lovely and really showed what the DualSense would be capable of. Astro controls perfectly, and the game is just a joy to play. Hopefully we get a longer game at some point in the future, but I'll always return to this little gem again and again. Thank you, James, for that. And now we're going to go to a good Joe from the forum, who says, I played through the entirety of Playroom a few days after I got my PS5 on release day, collecting the Platinum. The use of the controller haptics and a dose of nostalgia and terrific looking game was a great introduction to the system. Soon afterwards, I bought the PSVR on a deep sale bundled with Rescue Mission, and I was happy to find more of the creative spirit, which made Playroom so special. Both Rescue Mission and Playroom are fantastic games to show off the strengths of their respective systems, each game packed to the brim with fun new ideas which never outstay their welcome before moving on to the next. I'm definitely looking forward to the next output from the developer. So... Jesse, you already said that you still do not have a PS5. Uh, Carl, were you lucky enough to get a PS5 at launch, or did you have to wait a while before playing this?
2: No, I actually managed to secure one at launch. Nice. I actually managed to secure two at launch. Oh, nice. Um, and I managed to move one onto one of our listeners at uh, at cost because I'm I'm not a dirty fleecer. <laughs> uh, so I managed to help someone out who listens to the show where, which, which was quite nice that's awesome um, but yeah I was quite fortunate really that I actually managed to pull two PS5s um, so yeah I did get it at launch thankfully
0: nice yeah I was I was. it started out not lucky but ended up being very lucky I ended up being uh, sick about a week after the PlayStation 5 launched and I was home for a day and I happened to just catch one of those Wario 64 tweets at the right exact right time as oh, it went wow. up hey PS5s are up at amazon and i went and i got one about a week after i was very very lucky um so uh, but i mean with a sinus infection at home i just happened to be in that spot so yeah um and jesse you said you played this at the game lab at work is that right yeah
1: we got a i had not seen a ps5 in the flesh until like two months ago uh beginning of the school year because we finally got one at the you know game center because we were remote for a full year and etc etc and so uh and i haven't gone over anyone's apartment who had one and um I at near the beginning of the pandemic in like April or May 2020, my nephew's PlayStation died, so I sent him my PlayStation and then bought a PS4 pro. and mm-hmm. I think if I still had a, a regular PS4, I would have certainly thought about it and probably gotten one, but you know I'm, I'm fine and uh, and now he has one, <laughs> and his games load in five seconds earlier, and, and, and it's nice that he uh, has something on me. Uh, so, so, but um uh that's funny yeah it's it it was but this was one of the 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 things that really in the you know i would like to play the new demon souls i'd like to play Returnal. these seem good but honestly astro's playroom was the you know the one thing that i was like well as soon as i you know get near one of these things and I knew it was sure. relatively yeah. short, and I would be, fi- I'd be familiar with the you know controls. Uh, so when we got one at the beginning of the year, I just played it all basically in one fell swoop from like, you know, 6 mm-hmm. to 10 p.m., yeah. uh, which was a lot of fun. But now it is basically kind of a fever dream, and I'll just have to trust you to tell me what was real. And like, <laughs> did I actually punch a giant head into a lot of little heads, and then they became a big head again? I don't know. Um, I, All I know is I <laughs> felt the rain and, uh, you know, we'll talk about that.
0: But uh, yeah, and yeah, yeah, we will. Well, let, well, let's let's see if this bring back brings back any of your fe- fever dream uh, yeah. memories here. Um, The game starts as per Wikipedia starts in a world called CPU Plaza modeled after the inside of the PlayStation 5 console and provides access to four worlds, which are each themed after a component of the console and the artifacts are themes after the corresponding console. GPU Jungle for the PlayStation 4, Cooling Springs for the PlayStation 3, SSD Speedway for the PlayStation 2, and Memory Meadow from the PlayStation. Plaza also houses two other areas, Network Speedrun, which has Time Trials, and PlayStation Labo, which houses all the collectibles that a player has collected. So, just starting out, um, Carl, I I know that you've been, uh, obviously, a, a player for a long time. Was this PlayStation nostalgia trip something that you a realized that you wanted or was it effective for you when you played through it
2: i was a bit concerned that it was a a, a tagged on free experience oh. usually i this seemed to come off as a lower sense of quality so i did have concerns about it when i learned that it was getting tagged on um thankfully this is no u2 album dropping onto an iphone this was actually a, kind of a, a sort of a prestige experience which you I realized quite quickly, what I didn't expect was the overwhelming wave of nostalgia that was gonna come with it um all the way from you know seeing the characters in the worlds um seeing the the little astral references to the other PlayStation exclusives all the way through to the end game and the, and the and the essentially the last boss fight, which was just uh an absolutely incredible moment of joy for me um mm-hmm. as someone who has you know i I am old enough that I had consoles before the PlayStation. I got the PlayStation the first Christmas that it was out. Um, I've had all of those consoles since at launch, including mm-hmm. the PS5. You know, I have been in that ecosystem for the entire duration and played a lot of those games. It was absolutely fantastic to be able to kind of see so much dedication. Um, sure. Uh, sort of quality dedication as well, not just sort of a, a quick reference here or there, but something that actually stayed are sort of truly loyal to the, uh, to the brand of PlayStation and, and really sold the, the the qualities that you know Sony have uh, have essentially had for a quarter of a century at this point. yeah.
0: I, I found it particularly affecting uh, when you would get to the end of each world. Um, you get to the end of I'm thinking specifically of the SSD Speedway for me, where you kind of climb that last little little hurdle. And the world ends with the startup screen <laughs> and music of the console. And when that kind of whoosh from the PlayStation 2 hit, I PlayStation 2 was the first console I think I bought with my own money that I made at my own job. You know, it was my first adult and, and big air quotes because I was in college purchase. And when that hit and those little cubes popped up and it whooshed down, I, like, I was surprised how much that affected me. You know, like, like yeah. it wasn't. Like it wasn't the same effect that maybe some of the like the overwhelming sensory stuff we talked about with Astrobot rescue mission, but just that kind of like talk about wow twenty some odd years of memories just hitting you like a Mack truck. It it was surprising how much that affected me. Um, Jesse, did you did you feel uh, in your fever dream anything similar to that with these levels?
1: I believe so. Uh, I think. I mean, that was the thing. Was it was. This thing, you know, it was it was nice to be back. I had not uh, been there for a while. I was like, we got PS5. I started playing it. I didn't immediately just, like, hunker down. But uh, after class, it was, like, the library hadn't been open much yet. And, and I was like, okay, I'm going to uh, hang out here. And it is partly that this was something I kind of alluded to earlier about challenge. Like, one thing I do think with Astro's Playroom is because it is... And I didn't platinum it because I was, you know, if I had this at home, I would have kind of made more of a meal of it. I'm sure, uh, but you know, it, it it is meant for everybody. It is the thing that comes on it, and you know, much not unlike the the party games in playroom VR or whatever, or that level, which mm-hmm. you know, if if you weren't able to finish it, if if almost everybody wasn't able to finish it, that's a failure on the designer's part. Like that's sure what yeah. it's there for. Yeah. It it came with the thing, um, and. Uh, but I think the fact that it was kind of easy, partly because I was so familiar with kind of the basics of, like, the different different monsters you punch, and we, we didn't even really talk about it, like, all the different enemies and all that, and, like, they're all fine. They're all good, right, in the uh, mm-hmm. robot rescue mission. Uh, it's like... Yeah,
0: very, very punchable robots. Very
1: punchable robots with different gimmicks, and definitely a step up from Tearaway, but it does feel like that same sort of, like, easy brawl kind of vibe, right? Yeah satisfying but not difficult and i do think yeah a part of why it all blurs together is because i didn't get really stuck on anything
0: right yeah that makes sense yeah um so so each world has the console and then you have the PlayStation playstation labo area which we'll talk about in a bit where you're you're kind of unlocking peripherals and artifacts from playstation history but the real the real reason for this, in my estimation, is a demonstration of the capabilities of the dual sense controller. And you've already mentioned it a couple times, Jesse, about the feeling of the rain. And, and the, one, <laughs> the one thing I, I want to bring up right off the bat, and it, 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 it kind of is a mix of everything, right? It's the visuals, it's the sound design, it's the controller. But you're running along with Astro, and you can feel your footsteps in the controller. And then in the middle of the CPU plaza, there's a glass dome. Got mm-hmm. a kind of little dome area. You can walk yeah. right over. And when your footsteps hit the glass, the combination of the sound and the haptic feedback—it just like it. It felt like I was walking on glass. Now I don't know how that works sensor sensorially, right? Like like I'm sitting on my couch with a controller in my hand, and yet it felt I could feel that ting ting ting. That what the, everything working together to make me feel like I was walking on glass. And I probably spent yeah. 20 minutes in that plaza just walking through mm-hmm. everything to see what felt like this and what felt like that combine that with the levels where you're getting into these suits and getting these control uh these kind of uh, uh controls that really have you make make use of that dual sense controller it became a a really strong case for what that controller was capable of um it, Carl did you when you went through these levels at the beginning when you kind of started going through them did were you impressed by that controller did you feel that it was uh, again, we, we kind of said this before with the term gimmicky, but do you, do you did you feel like, oh, this is neat, but I'll never use it again, or I don't really need this, or was it something that you were like, yep, sign me up. This is awesome.
2: It was interesting because Sony obviously made quite a big deal of yeah. what the dual sense was capable of. It was a large part of their advertising campaigns for that console. It felt like that that the controller was getting at least as much presence as the console itself mm-hmm, sure. from Sony's own advertising. Uh It wasn't the first thing I played on my PS5. The first thing I think I played on my PS5 was actually WRC Nine, which also is an exceptional demonstration for the dual sense. Oh, really? Cool. Yeah. So it felt like some of maybe the 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 majesty of that controller I'd already experienced in a different game. Uh, but that you know that's fine. What what you can't ignore, regardless of that, is how well attuned the design of this game was to the features of that controller. Sure. Uh, And it also, as a quality of itself, it didn't feel like any of the game was diluted in a way to sell that controller outside of the qualities of the game. They both work perfectly aligned parallel to each other. So the game is great in its own style without just being a demonstration of the controller but it masters its demonstration of the controller alongside of its own gaming experience, sure. which is what I did appreciate the most. Um, it was things like uh, selling the, uh, the the way that the trigger, the deep pulls on the trigger in the jumping frog suit, for mm-hmm. example. I don't mm-hmm. know the correct name of that. Yeah, that I think they just it call is. it the frog suit, yeah. Yeah, so the the, 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 the way that that would feel or um, the way that it would feel you know, when the rain hit, that was obviously a very good one. And also the fact that the speaker on the DualSense is considerably improved from the speaker that was on the DualShock shock mm-hmm, four. Yeah. Um so you had the sound with the controller, you had the the the, the, the more subtlety to the vibration. It wasn't just a ham fisted simple rotating motor mm-hmm. as it is in and basically has been since the dual what the dual two. Um yeah. no the DualShock shock one, sorry. Which uh, was obviously the one that had the, the motors in it. So you, you had the, the the obviously the feeling of the controller going through it and Again, it, it's kind of that... At this point, I think you can start to look at the, this studio as kind of the peripheral masters, right? They've got mastery of their peripherals. Yeah, They did it with the camera, they've done it with the uh, analog controller, they've done it with the VR, and now they've done it with the DualSense. Like There is something there that they are able to align the experience of a peripheral with the experience or quality of their own game. Um, and it definitely felt like... An ideal showcase for the features of the controller, whilst also providing—and so this is something that did surprise me—a relatively quality platforming experience um, for something that was a free chuck in. You know, it, it, yeah. it's a better experience than we got with uh, Playroom on the PS4. For if you had the camera, for example, um, it 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 has depth to it that maybe I wasn't um, going to experience. It also had the whole card system built in. It had the PS Plus support tutorials in for finding the collectibles. Right. It really sold, not just more so than the controller, but the whole feature suite from a software perspective of the PS5 as well, um, and felt really polished, obviously, from the point that it that it released. Um, and, and that is probably what I wasn't expecting. Mm-hmm. And that my fear was that it wouldn't feel that way when it was a, a throw-in, because not everything is Alex Kidd you know right. not everything is yeah. that quality uh throw-in title um <laughs> but thankfully it, it, it clearly was um of a substantial uh standard and then when i when i eventually did get round to it which i think was the second day of having the ps5 uh it felt like i didn't want to put the game down at that point
0: yeah i was i was shocked that i had this pack-in game and the remake of demon souls and i was
2: <laughs> drawn to playing yep.
0: this game instead you know Same. um and maybe just because you know i knew that I, the length of my experience would obviously be shorter and and I can't, it was be a more tightly controlled thing but i just i guess i just couldn't get over how much of it there was and how it felt like each one of those areas you know re- related to each console felt designed and felt considered as well as each level of rescue mission um it, it it's kind of incredible to go from playroom to to this with a two game leap and I I kind of now have the confidence in the studio that I would have in like Nintendo's R&D one you know like like I I have I have the confidence that what what this team does next is going to feel this way and control this Titan be this have the attention to detail that this has and and speaking of attention to detail this game the amount of just it it almost was overpacked in the way that like a like a naked gun or hotshots movie mm-hmm. is in references. Like, <laughs> like you could not turn a corner in this game without seeing two Astrobots reenacting some scene from a PlayStation game, uh, reenacting, you know, some history and even games that aren't PlayStation studios made games, but, uh, games that are associated with the PlayStation, like Metal Gear solid references. And, and, and it was kind of incredible. The, the lengths they went to, to, to celebrate the, the history of PlayStation in a way that didn't feel like self-advertisement, it just felt like a like a like a keen appreciation for the things that I, a player, would like about about the history of the consoles.
1: Yeah, and it, it's it's a tougher history than Nintendo because it's less cartoony in some way, right? Like sure, like yeah. like uh, you know, um, the I don't know Ellie from uh, Last of Us is a is a wonderful character, but you're probably not going to put her in Smash Bros. Like, there's It's harder, I feel like, for Sony to,
0: with, again, you know, more quote-unquote adult, or more prestige, and there's a... Well, I mean, Jesse, you wouldn't put just her in Smash Brothers. you'd have her and Joel as an Ice Climbers duo, is how they would go in the game, sure. Uh, And I'm I'm sure it would be
1: very tasteful. Uh, But there is that, it's always been funny, like, it's not that Sony doesn't have an identity, certainly. Uh, as a game studio as a game platform as a and and now they are even getting more of one because they are interestingly kind of leaning in on the single player prestige experience hmm, game yeah which is starting to become more of an idiosyncratic move, whereas, you know, previously I said this on the Nintendo Land podcast that, like, one thing I've always liked about Nintendo is they don't seem overdetermined in the sense of, if Sony and Microsoft didn't exist in the 2000s, some companies would probably be in those niches. Whereas if someone else didn't make the Wii U, like, that's not happening, or the or the Lava or whatever. Uh, whereas Sony, you know, has been a little more down the straight and narrow, but with great things like journey and demon souls and so forth. But again, those are not, those are not the sort of things that are easily cartooned into something like the rare set. Right. Or I just recently Mm -hmm. got the Atari 50 and they're, you know, they're Mm -hmm. or Mario. Uh, and, and it is very funny when you go through this game and you find artifacts that are like, Oh, the remote control for the PS move or something like, Oh, great. Uh, and, uh, They're less weird and charming in some way than the Virtual Boy or whatever oddball Nintendo artifact you might find in Nintendo Land. Um, Right. But it definitely, you know, I'm rooting for them. I don't know. And it did remind me that in some way, I do think Sony has a personality. They, They put chips on things like Demon's Souls and Journey when other studios might not, or, you know, other platforms and... I, right. I'm kind of rooting for them against Genshin Impact and just the, the gotchification <laughs> right. of everything. And even if yeah. I am not really a triple A single player, you know, I have not played through a Last of Us game, but uh, I'm I'm happy, or a God of War game, but I'm I'm happy they're out there kicking. Uh, and, yeah, there was something very, yeah.
0: Uh, it, it, what you just said is funny because I, I was saying, and this is a bit of an aside... That i I wasn't planning on getting the new God of War game not because I'm not interested I'm very interested but I just like ah you know i'm I wasn't really sure about having one of those single player prestige games it's gonna be 40 hours long and all these things and and I have so many other games to play and I'm a Pokemon monster and that new game just came out so I'll just play all those and then I was playing uh Astro's playroom today and I was seeing some God of War collectibles and I was playing through the PS2 and I saw some God of War little Astrobots doing a couple God of War things mm-hmm. and I and i I exited the game and my ps5 may or may not be downloading god of war ragnarok right now as we speak so it definitely the way that it that it presents that playstation history like you said it just i don't know it it does it, it does does some of that so well that yeah. it's kind of hard to believe that they weren't that this team hasn't been involved since the beginning of all this um because it seems to treat it with the with, with the reverence of a, of that that probably sony wants them to treat it with right like um And you brought up Gacha Machine, which is going to bring us to our next segment here, is that a lot of what this game is about is collectibles, not unlike Rescue Mission, but in particular, these collectibles, and specifically the artifacts, manifest in this area of the game called the PlayStation Labo, where you will, it basically turns into a peripheral museum, where you'll collect, you'll be in the PS2 world, and you'll collect an artifact for the PS2 Slim and then you go into the labo section, and there it is, just sitting on the floor, of yep. PS2 Slim, and there's four or five little Astrobots like on top of it doing a couple things. And I remember that moment of walking in there, being, like, oh, this is kind of neat. And then as Astro, I hit the open button on the PS2 Slim, yep. and the cover pops up. <laughs> it's like, whoa, this is this is kind of a level of interaction I wasn't expecting. And then next thing I know, I'm really caring a lot about getting the ps2 network adapter artifact which i don't care about in real life because i want to play with it in this labo thing um did you guys how, how did that whole area did that hit you guys well or did you feel it kind of like uh, unnecessary or what do you what are your thoughts on that
2: i i absolutely
0: adored it yeah, um me too
2: <laughs> I, I i adored it in a different way to how i adored the way that the end boss came up which so, okay, is yep. kind yep. of the, you know the ps1 dinosaur You're like, oh my like, I, it took me back to seeing that for the first time. Right,
0: yeah, absolutely.
2: And we'd never seen anything like that. Um, You know, we'd basically come from, you know, Star Fox to, to suddenly seeing this dinosaur moving, and I, I just remember being blown away, and then you get to fight it in 25 years. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm remembering yeah. the 25 years, and I've had all the memories of seeing all the characters. And to be fair, a lot of the references are quite heavily maybe leaned towards more recent things. You know, Last of Us, God of War, Horizon Zero Dawn. You know, the the, the stuff that's happened in maybe the last half a decade, more so than the stuff that happened um, in the previous 25 years. But what the Labo Room does when you get all the artifacts is it really starts to to give a holistic identity to what Sony has accomplished in those 25 years. Because Mm. on a surface level when you look across the main console manufacturers, you'd go, well, you know, Sega obviously had its things. It had, you know, Sonic, you know, Daytona, the, the whole M2 arcade system set up, you know, it obviously had those exclusives. You've got Nintendo, I mean, come on, you know, Link, Zelda, Mario, um, Pokemon, you know, you've got all these kinds of things. The, it It's really obvious with Nintendo what they have in their locker. the The historic franchises... The, the history of consoles, uh, it always feels, or it's always felt to me at a very surface level that that stuff's kind of happened with Sony, but it's not given it an identity. And Sony themselves have also been quite vocal about that's in the past, it doesn't matter now, we don't really care about that. Sure. And in fact, that was one of the lines that Jim Ryan basically had is backwards compatibility. It's, you know, it's done with, it who'd want to play an old version. And then all of a sudden you've got this game that goes, yeah, but do you remember this peripheral? Do you? Re-? And it's like popping up like the PSP UMD, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. whoa, like that's a th- like that's a throwback. And then you know you, you you get in the other consoles and you get the old you know the the original PS uh, PS3 console, the big one with the dome, and you jump on it and you go across the buttons and all of a sudden you hear that that beep noise yep. of turning it on. You are like, God, I remember doing that. Like that—that that only feels like it was a couple of years ago. I did that, and I'm thinking, oh, hang on, that was 2007. Yep. So hmm. that, yeah, you know, I'm like, that was 13 years ago. And then, uh, like the PS2, you you turn jumping up because you can jump up, obviously, up and around on these items, as you have said. And I'm like, wow, PS2, like. And then I'm like, what? Well, when was that? I think that was 2002. And I'm like, oh my god, that's 18 years. That's a full-grown adult. Yeah. Old, and yeah. and like all of a sudden, I'm getting like overwhelmed by all these memories of this has happened all this time ago and you see all the little astrobots doing their little things um, around in this room and you're just collecting more and more and more and more of these things. Um, and I just thought that that, as a representation of Sony as a brand, from a console perspective, their console division and what they've accomplished with their you know, their two handholds, four home consoles, they could not have put a better wrapper around that for me to engage with kind of that, like the the memories that I had around those mm-hmm. where I would sit there and think, do you know what? It's been a pretty good 25 years with, with a PlayStation, yeah. hasn't it? Yeah. There is so many good things. And, you know, you, I just sit there smiling and, you know, I still think back and I think how cool it was that you get all these artifacts, you know, from the the PS2, the PS, you know, the PS2 Slim, the PS1 Slim, the original, you know, the, the like I said, the UMDs, the Move Controllers the the analog controller the the first DualShock you're like whoa like all of a sudden it all comes flooding back and it I was able to piece together a timeline of hardware and then with the references of the characters the 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 console gaming references all lined out in an experience in a way that is kind of automatic right with Nintendo like it's it's just there Mm -hmm. it's so established no one else has that except after 25 years sony does have that sure sony has a lot of character a lot of history and that's what this did and um, and that was like a, a pang that i just did not see coming like i was completely blindsided yeah. by that in the best possible way
0: yeah i i can't agree with you more there carl and i think it's one of those things that we forget about and obviously us three and and, and the people the audience listening to the podcast and everybody else Who's involved with it we we all care a lot about video games they mean a lot to us that's the reason that we're doing we we do this but if you would have told me like oh it's got a museum with all everything that playstation had made in the past I'm like oh that's kind of neat you know that's cool you know maybe i'll take a look at that then when you're unlocking them and you go in that room and you're experiencing it yourself while playing the game, like, you start to remember that you have emotional attachment to these things, not because of the item itself, but a period of time in your life or where you were or who did you play that game with and, oh, we did use that multi-tap for this or yeah. that. It it, it 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 has that emotional resonance that I wasn't expecting. And I think a lot of it was just because, how fa- first of all, how faithful the recreations were, like... To create 3D models of all these things, and then let you interact with them on some level, even though it's just like you hit the UMD and the disc spins, or you know, you open a can, you get the beep, or things like that. It just it felt to have a a, a sense of care and reverence without being self indulgent. It's hard because it, this is Sony doing it, right? Sony is this is putting this on a platter and serving it to us, and so you could be like, oh yeah, yeah, we know you think you're great, but it it does it in that whimsical and joyous way kind of as we talked about with the smiles on our face we played rescue mission that it just felt like a like a really respectful and earnest approach to looking at their history be like hey wasn't this all great now let's now now here within this demonstration of the current thing and how great we believe this current console and control and everything else is let's take a look back at what uh, what got us here and wh- how, what we went through and these things, hey, that didn't work or these other things that we kind of shelved and everybody laughs about the Vita and we forgot about it. But like here it is in this room. It's like, well, they didn't forget about it. It just it's this is where it is now. And and, it, and mm-hmm. that reverence, it, it it that affected me in a way that I was not expecting for sure. It's it's because intro-
1: when we were talking uh, or, or when you're saying the 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 the, you know, Nintendo and then Sega, but Microsoft wasn't mentioned. Right, which is another mm, one where after yeah. halo you do and i do think it partly oddly sony ends up uh in that 80s class i talk about with arcade games this because uh, like distinction in the early arcade games between japanese and american games where the japanese games have absorbed cartooning in some way whereas the really impressive american games have their own personality but they're more like the Williams games like Defender or Joust or Robotron where it's it's not cartoony it's you know exciting and sci-fi or whatever um and in the same way right Nintendo's like halfway between a video game company and Disney like compared to other video game companies like in terms of managing that more every day too yeah right but just even in terms of like they've always brought back stuff and you know like you know Disney would make sure you can see the Aristocats for, you know, 12 years. And then they'd, you know, bring it out on VHS for six months. So I don't to be very excited. Like that approach, whereas Sony is just kind of uh, like they do their thing. And, and on some level, because I am old, I'm still, when I hear Sony, I'm like, you mean the Walkman people? Yeah, I guess they could make video games. Let's see what happens with that. Uh, right. And that was originally, I I bought a Virtual Boy and then returned it uh and then bought a PlayStation not because i didn't actually enjoy the virtual boy but because i kind of saw you know i wasn't in it. <laughs> yeah. uh and i only had enough money of course barely enough money for either uh but i the ps1 is one of the very very few systems i've ever bought day one and was kind of in on in that way and as I said, Jumping Flash, I had a genuinely, you know, numinous experience with. So it's it. But there's. It's a subtler thing. And when you look at. I don't know. I just think about I forget the name of the president of Sony games when the PS3 to PS4 is going. But he did an interview on some podcast. It was like an hour long where he gave his top 10 games. and It was very interesting that Journey was number one. And uh, Demon and Dark Souls were two and three, and he 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 started tearing up a little talking about Journey because it was number one because it, it it meant a lot to him because of personal things and and talking about how you know he was very he skeptical about Dark and De- uh, Demon Souls and and finally was converted and how much influence it had on just the the PS5's very structure, uh, and uh, or or the PS4s. I'm sorry, the you know the 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 sharing and all of that, uh, and. It was funny because I've read so many Awada Asks interviews and have so much more of that sense of Nintendo, whereas Sony, I've always sort of taken for like, they're a tech company and they're very good at making yeah. this thing because they're a good, good at tech in the same way that they were good at Walkman. Um, but Intel but mm-hmm. playing this, and even though I played this under very, you know, subs- it was like I was reviewing it. Uh, which is not the way right. I, I generally play things or I like to play them. But it was on a, you know, on a 1080p, uh, you know, sort of whatever, 32-inch screen that we had it hooked to at the library with other people around playing games and stuff. And And unfortunately, I was definitely, I think my only issue with it is I was too goal-oriented because of the environment I was in. Like I was playing it to sure. win it. That makes sense. Uh, yeah. And I definitely think if as soon as I get a PS5, the very first thing I'll do, even before playing the Demon Souls remake or the other thing, you know, Returnal, the other things I'm really interested in, is just like stop and smell the roses. Is just sort right. of again not even finish this all, uh, but just make a meal of it. Finish one world platinum, ascent, you know, and, 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 uh, play with everything and watch the animations. And yeah, I kind of want to, um, get what you guys have gotten out of it. Certainly. I I, I yeah. can
0: tell it's there. And, and, and speaking of the animations, and I think this leads into our next session a little bit, is that the, the, the polish that you saw in Astrobot Rescue Mission, um, all carried over and kind of was just enhanced here with the new, with the new hardware, the new everything else. And and the one thing and we you already talked about it a little bit with the rain, I talked about it with the footsteps, was was in the music and, and the sound, where I thought it, it did take a, a a pretty significant step up. I think a lot of that is to do with because a lot of what they were talking about before the PlayStation Five came out again was the pulse headset and the three D audio and all that stuff. So there was definitely part of that, that was that was um that was part of the marketing and promotion for this game and for the console itself. Um it also has that great GPU song. That is just incredible, and you can find the area that has the lyrics of that printed on the wall. You get a trophy for finding that little area. Uh, it's just, it's just wonderful. Um, and you you look at these two games we just talked about, and they're games that have very similar feel. We talked about the controls here and some of the other things we didn't talk about the Dual Sense. There's a, a climbing mechanic that's a monkey suit. It's probably my least favorite part of of using the Dual Sense. It, it feels a little wonky to me to kind of. Get that rhythm right to climb up mm-hmm. the walls. You have like kind of a monkey ball type suit, and you spin the uh, spin the ball on on the touchpad, and then you have a ship you literally control with the Dual Sense controller. Um, but made by the same studio, starring the same character, very similar feel to when they're playing. But but are these two games actually comparable, or are they two u- so unique, so different things that you have to kind of look at them in in t- with two separate lenses? <laughs>
2: I so I wouldn't have had both shows on one podcast because I think they are both very very different experiences but they do share one major commonality in that they are showcases for the peripheral sure. around yeah. them and I th- I think that is for the that is the similarity for me um I definitely feel like they are very very different games very very different experiences mm-hmm but i can I can see why we are covering them in one episode at the same time sure. because the, there is that big overarching similarity. they are both you know peripheral showcases that stand out as arguably exceptional experiences independent of one another as well
0: right okay yeah i was I was feeling kind of the same way like i I was thinking that i mean clearly these games are connected and they're they're united and and um uh but the way i think about them is much like you carl in the sense that they are um uh, they're very different types and styles of games and um with the one being the pack in for the console it's kind of it, it serves a different purpose doesn't it than than yeah. just you know creating its own unique adventure um from from the top and i think we will wrap up our discussion with uh astro's playroom with a couple posts from our community here uh Nick Tendo from the forum says During the dark days of the lockdown in 2020, I came upon the opportunity to buy a PS5, and I needed something to cheer me up. I am a self-confessed Nintendo fanboy, yet have somehow managed to have every PlayStation console so far. I got the PS1 purely to play the Final Fantasy games. I got the PS2 because of the allure of playing DVDs and a good amount of peer pressure. I got the PS3 because The Last of Us tantalized me, and I got an excellent deal. I got the PS4 because The Witness was an exclusive, and my fondness of Braid made me dive in. Apologies for the historical detour. When I feel nostalgia for video games, my best memories are tied to the 64, GameCube, and Wii. The PlayStation consoles were always second fiddle. Until playing Astro's Playroom, I never realized how nostalgic I felt for PlayStation. Turns out I am. From remembering the multi-tap, to the details of the controllers, to the sounds of the startup screens of each console, PlayStation has covertly embedded itself in my memories. Astro's Playroom, while invoking nostalgia in its own right, a brilliant 3D platform which showcases the DualSense controller perfectly, Astro controls like Mario, and his personality is adorable. The level design is short and sweet, yet the allure of finding all the hidden easter eggs makes for great replayability. I only wish the game was longer after getting the Platinum with 5 hours playtime. But the absolute best part is the can't-get-out-of-your-head music and songs. I'm-your-GPU, just by typing it now, has gotten stuck in my head yet again. This game arrived for me at a time where I needed to feel that things were getting better, and it was the perfect medicine. I hope we see more of PlayStation's robotic mascot outside of the surely upcoming PSVR 2 game. And Kieran DC from the Patreon says, Every pre-installed game I've played in the past has been poor, either way past its sell-by date, poorly made, or just on the system to say that this game has X games included. To say that my expectations of Astro's playroom were low would be a big understatement. The difference between what I was expecting and what I found out was huge. Astro controls perfectly, so responsive and intuitive. The game does a great job of introducing the controller and its functions to the player in a really fun and engaging way. The graphics, platforming, and music are beautiful. I'm your GPU is a real earworm. When I realized the game hub was inside of the PS5, I laughed out loud. In fact, the whole time I was playing, I had a huge grin plastered over my face. Such a blast of nostalgia when getting to the end of an area and realizing the final space was the home screen of the previous PlayStation generations. This game is a love letter to PlayStation in the guise of great platforming and wonderful design. I've never been happier to have my expectations proven completely wrong. Well, thank you, everybody from the forum who contributed. You can go over to kaneandrince.com and go to the forum and contribute to f- uh, future episodes. You can also make comments on our Patreon at uh, patreon.com slash So let's do our three-word reviews um, as we put a call out on Twitter, and we'll continue to for the next 12 hours before it burns to the ground. <laughs> um, and then <laughs> we can uh, follow us at Patreon and on Uh Carl, we'll start with you.
2: Yeah, so Quiet Paul starts with the one we're probably all thinking now that we've heard everyone mention it.
0: GPU!
1: <laughs> <laughs> Nintendo says PlayStation's robotic Mario.
0: Tap Ear says Perfect Packin'. Befish Pie says SeaBot bot Run. Richard Burt says Old and New. Pierre Pressure says Nintendo-esque magic.
2: Graham Strachan, so much fun. And
1: Kung Fu Tarantula, uh, I'm not going to say I'm your GPU.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on! <laughs> it was already, you know,
1: it's, a, it's not a refrain.
0: Uh, I mean, when when you hear when you hear the dulcet tones of Carl Moon, I exactly. mean, you don't want to follow that up and, and, uh, I can't and not, <laughs> not come through. <laughs> All right, you're Je- too kind, uh, Jesse. I, I think um, with our summaries, I think we'll start with you. Um, uh, so we're summarizing two games here, but just kind of your your overall experience with Astrobot and and. and and the whole,
1: the whole answer as i said the the i'm going to kind of include the the original playroom vr and all of this as part of the full package and and it is it is sony's most successful attempt by far at creating a cute mascot uh and it is a and it's nice to see that it the psvr unfortunately being limited by being this sort of niche item where you literally kind of have to see it to believe it as opposed to. Tetris Effect was mentioned earlier, and that was a VR game that you could also be blown away by on a flat screen, and got more exposure that way. But it it still does feel like this is a a bet a well kept secret, which is funny considering it's not like an indie band that sold fifty thousand copies. It you know it is on a system that sold I don't know how many PSVRs were sold, but at least ten million. You know it's but in the scale of video games, it is essentially a cult item and yeah I mean we all talked about how great it is, and I'll need to summarize that again i think the the thing I am interested in that we were talking about and want to go back uh to the astros uh playroom and 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 play more is this how how these companies self create their own image, as I said, I recently played the atari fifty uh collection, which I got on my the the steam deck I acquired thanks to my union successful contract. Uh, and uh, I played the little <laughs> Steam demo, you know that shows you how to do the Steam Deck, and I don't know if you've seen the the Valve Desk or whatever. Uh, yeah, it's
0: a it's a Portal based one, right? Yeah, Isn't yeah, it but it's like, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's
1: got bad vibes. It's it's very sour and kind of depressive in an odd way that is just not fun. And I would it was impressive and interesting. I'm glad I downloaded it and played it and deleted it, but it's not something I'm going to show to other people uh, as like even a delightful novelty. And, and whereas the, you know, the original Astro's uh, robot rescue level and, and the game were, were certainly something where anytime I got a chance. And incidentally, if you have PSVR, there is, I think, a Astro's robot rescue VR demo still up, which is, I think, the, basically the first three, two or three levels and the first boss uh so and and that is a great thing to download even if you own the game because if you want to show it to someone else uh hard to make another user profile but it really does give you the exact right amount of the game as a as we were talking about of like the chunk you would want to play it in and yeah i just but i'm very interested in this kind of paratext issue of, you know, that that even when I was a kid, Infocom and Electronic Arts had these personalities to them that went beyond any individual game that affected me deeply and definitely convinced me, you know, video games and computer games were a worthy thing of study, even if other people weren't necessarily saying that, but but the the confidence they presented mm. themselves with and historicized themselves with in their newsletters. And, in you know, just the surrounding material was just as important as the games. And it is very interesting seeing Sony, you know, they, it, it did a much better job than uh, what was their smash clone? <laughs> All Stars Battle Royale. Oh, yeah, it oh, is. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. It <laughs> is. Uh, yeah. Um, so onward and
0: upward. Well, thanks, Jesse. Um, I think I'll I'll go before Carl here, only because I um, I I really am interested to hear uh, Carl's full thoughts on on both these games together to kind of wrap us up. I I feel I think very similarly to both both of you. We we had a lot of positive things to say. The one thing I think that both of these games together have proven to me, and and something that hasn't been talked about a lot so far already on the episode, is that I I just I really trust Team Asobi to do something magical when their name is on the front of a game. And it's it's going to be really interesting to see what they come up with next. I know there, there was uh, their... the Nicholas Doucette had given some interviews in August saying the next game that they were uh, making is going to be their biggest game yet, and you would assume it would be some sort of follow-up to um, either whether it's a VR, PSVR, or if it's a, just a PlayStation 5 platformer. Um, I just think that the the framework they've built here and the, kind of the 3D platforming chops that you see in both these games is really highlighted by their intent attention to controls and attention to detail. And I think there's not a lot like this out there right now. So that even if uh, the next game they come out with isn't an AstroBot game, or even if you're listening to this podcast down the line and and now suddenly AstroBot Rescue Mission is going to be four, five, six, seven, eight years older. I'm not sure unless the unless the current trend of Sony and video games in general changes. I, I don't think there's a lot out there quite like either of these games that you could play. So I think no matter when you come to them, and you mentioned this earlier, Jesse, I don't think there's there will ever be a bad time for you to come to these games. It just might get harder with the peripherals as time goes on to find a way to play uh, to play uh, Rescue Mission, and if you don't have that PlayStation VR headset handy, um, but. These are games that I I adore for for different reasons but but the the, the going through line is that these games are just they're they're everything I kind of need from a 3D platformer is that they're really fun to control, the worlds are lush and vibrant and it, they just seem to have great ideas that they're not that they're willing to use but also not afraid to throw out for the next good idea. And I think that's something that That uh, that I really love about these games, and I I absolutely can't wait to see uh, what the team makes next. So, uh, Carl, why don't you uh, bring us home? Yeah,
2: so I think it's probably safe to say I am quite positive on uh, both of these uh, as an experience. I think the VR is the standout. I think it's the problem. Maybe it's a victim of the quality of the VR hardware now. Um, So the PSVR is a dated VR headset. It is relatively low resolution and you can definitely tell it versus sort of newer hardware. So I would absolutely love to see this be ported to the PSVR 2 in a much higher resolution because that's nothing to do with the game's quality. It's just a victim of its circumstance on the hardware. Um, And to get my other negative out about that game, I don't think it has a great soundtrack. So we did allude to that. Um, it is overly repetitive. That said, it's probably my favourite platforming game experience in nearly the last quarter of a century. So, since Mario sixty four, um, and this game is single handedly responsible for me excitedly unwrapping my copy of Mario Odyssey, putting it on sitting there and going, huh, is this it? Is this all they've got? Because for years, we've been at a point where Nintendo always bring a level of quality that no one can match. And I feel Team Asobi out nintendo and Nintendo at their own game. Um, and their last two Astros have been a stronger platforming example for me to play in terms of tighter control and more enjoyable gameplay than the last few Mario's, um, and that's something that I never thought that I would say because Mario has for always been king of the hill and for good reason in that space. So that's the level that I believe Team Asobi are playing at, and that's the value that I think Sony have from them as a studio producing a mascot, where they have gone through countless. You know they've had crash. He's now multi-format, they've had croc. It was a croc. Um and they've had many others in between, from things like characters from twisted metal to leads of you know, The Last of Us, Uncharted, God of War, but they've never really nailed that. This is our cute front mascot that really does help. That is Astro. Like they've absolutely nailed it with that. Um, I think. For a VR experience, its structure and design in terms of length of worlds and length of game is absolutely ideal. I think they absolutely nailed it. And I think value for money, which is always uh, an interesting proposition when it comes to a game sold for VR hardware, I feel is absolutely spot on. I think it's worth every penny. Um, I think it would have actually been worth more, um, which is saying a lot. As for what we see from Astro's Playroom, Uh, it built up a level of nostalgia way beyond what I thought I had. I I didn't believe that there was none there, but I couldn't have put my finger on it if I tried. (laughs) Um, And I think this basically scooped it all up in one big shovel and dumped it all um, right in front of me and just let me enjoy it at my leisure, at my pace, and really get to relive the last 25 years of console playing I've had on that system um and i think most importantly the one thing the two games do really have in common is they both just evoke a level of joy of playing games that i have not had since i was a kid um you know they're not overly challenging but there's enough challenge in there to do little bits there's extended challenge if you want to go and do the challenge missions or speed runs there's the integration where both feel incredibly natural with the hardware that you're playing them with. They're both very slick, very fast, very responsive, but most importantly they're just fun beautiful to look at, quirky um, and I just can't recommend them enough and for me, I think Rescue Mission comfortably sits in the handful of best games on the PS4. Uh, I think it is of that standard. It is that good um, and I think Astrobots Playroom I would argue that that Maybe sits atop on the PS5 right now as well. So, Team Asobi, congratulations, well done. You've absolutely, for me, smashed those games out of the park. Everyone should try them if they can. It's a shame VR is a bit of a gatekeeper to that experience, but that experience is intrinsic to that game. Mm-hmm. So I do understand why there is a non there is no non VR alternative to it. It it is built around that as its fundamental foundational technology. Um, and it shines because of it, if you do have access to a VR, then absolutely. you. I think it's a must-play. If VR's always been something that you've wanted, but you've never had a real reason to jump in, I think this is that reason. Uh, and you don't need to spend money on those extortionate move controllers. So <laughs> that, That's always a, a positive. For me, I just think they've the, the been two of my favourite and so probably my two happiest gaming experiences um, in the last four
0: years well thanks Carl it's wonderful and um, I'd like to um, again thank both Carl and Jesse for their contributions to this show as well as editor Jay for putting it all together and again thanks to all the forum correspondents we are again located at com. you can go to the forum and chime in and all things coming up on, on the Patreon uh, as part of a tier subscription you can be uh, recipient of our extra monthly podcast where leon and jay get together and talk about whatever they like to talk about and uh, you get some extra insight into what shows are coming up and then as always we will be approaching the the uh, impending selection and announcement of rinse volume 12 which will be starting next year so look forward to all that on both the forum and on the patreon but as far as for what's directly next on issue 547 we'll expound on whether the web slingers follow-up is mightier than its predecessor it's going to be spider-man miles morales